The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. There was either a book or a blog post I wrote some time ago that had the title, Why Life Begins on Opening Day. <laughs> that is how I feel about the return of baseball. And uh, actually, I want to show you my first real distinct memory of baseball. The 1976 New York Yankees team, you can boo now. Let's just get it out of the way. They lost anyway that World Series. They won the next two, however. 1976 Yankees team lost to the Big Red Machine, 4-0 in that World Series. Billy Martin, you can see his name. And actually, I wanted something to show you here. My dad went to one of those World Series games, and he brought me back an autographed baseball with all the Yankees on it. And if you look at this, you can see that there is not a single name left on this baseball. <laughs> you see, because in the next spring, in a fit of, by then my seven-year-old self, need for instant gratification, I was looking for a ball to play catch with my friends, and I could not find one. And I thought, you know what, we're so good, we're so skilled, we can keep this off the ground. And the decades-long slide towards erasing every single name on it began. Now, I've, I can't begin to tell you how many baseballs I have lost over the decades. There is only one I have kept. It is this one. I call it my mindful reminder of my capacity to be mindless. <laughs> Flash forward to 1999. 22 years later, after starting to scuff all the names off of this autograph, 1976, Yankees baseball. It is Saturday night, and I go to sleep the night before Easter. The first Easter that I will be leading as an ordained minister. I am a little bit nervous. And I had a dream that night in which I was holding this baseball in my hand. And it looked exactly like it does now. <laughs> Worn and dirty and kind of dingy. And as I was holding it in my hands, I, I saw something. And one of the seams, it looked like there was something underneath. And so I started picking at the seams and kind of then tearing them open and think about like, you know, the, mo the most chaotic presents have already been opened Christmas morning. Trash everywhere. And I was just digging and digging and digging and digging because there was something there. And after I remember my arms growing tired and wondering how much longer could this last, all of a sudden, in the dream, a complete surprise, I found it. The original baseball as pure and as pristine as the day that my father gave it to me in the fall of 1976. I don't think I have ever woken up from a dream with a greater sense of bliss and wholeness and completeness. Beyond the mindful reminder of my mindlessness, this is why I keep this baseball to remind myself 
of what is here within each of us, individually and collectively. So yes, this is my Easter baseball. But in the 20 years since that dream, something has shifted for me. I think, you know, developmentally fitting, in my 20s when this first happened, it represented me, individually. And also you, but individually. Now I don't see this experience as individual. I see it as collective. Bringing forth new life from where life has been injured and wounded. This is the message of Easter, especially in our Unitarian Universalist tradition. We don't spend a lot of time asking the question, did it happen, didn't it happen? For this, I'm going to refer to one of my favorite teachers who is quite enough of an authority. He's a Franciscan monk. I'm going to trust his understanding of his own Christian tradition. Richard Rohr, a favorite teacher here for many of us at Wellsprings, he says these stories, these wonderful stories we inherit, they're true, and some of them actually happened. That's the attitude I take. We're not here to debate the literalness of these things. That doesn't get us very far. That only gets us to a yes or a no. This Easter morning, this Easter story, this story of Jesus rising, this sacred story, and being found by Mary first, being seen by her first, even after the empty tomb, and then by the disciples It is a collective story of bringing forth life from where there had been only death. This Easter story calls us, it points, as my Buddhist friends would say, it points at a larger truth, a deeper trust, a way of being alive that calls us more fully into being in this life. Especially at those times when we feel there is just doubt or despair, or we cannot think we can find a way to the other side. Love's power this Easter morning, and indeed all mornings, invites us to open our hearts, to love more abundantly, especially when what we want to do is close them right down. To borrow a phrase I've heard before, and to go back to baseball for the final time, I think, today. I don't know, the message isn't over yet. Love bats last. (laughs) Death, despair, does not have the final say in our lives. We can trust this. And it can call us home back to this life. And to each other. The message for this morning takes its title from kind of an odd place for me, from the vows section of the New York Sunday Times, which I do not read very often at all. I don't read the engagements. It takes me weeks sometimes to get through the New York Sunday Times. And yes, because my wife is a journalist, we still get a dead tree newspaper at our house on Sunday mornings. So like, you know, there's so many other parts of the New York Times I'm going to read other than the vows section. But for some reason this day I was reading it with the title of the article, Love's Road Home. It's about these two people. Ashley Volk and Sam Ciara. They weren't even um, teenage sweethearts. <laughs> High school sweethearts. They were grade school sweethearts. 
They met each other in sixth grade, and they knew they wanted to be together. And they got engaged many years later in the visiting room of a penitentiary in southern Illinois, where Sam was serving six years. See, he was serving a sentence because he had signed up for the Marines in the wake of September 11th. And he had gone over to Afghanistan and he had seen, in a terrible word, action. No, he had experienced trauma and death and loss. And he came back changed. Not for the better. He came back scarred and wounded and finding that the only way, or at least at the point he thought the only way he could deal with the demons that he was experiencing inside of him was through alcoholism and addiction. He had PTSD, as do so many of our vets. And so he found himself some years after he came back in the living room of a space that he did not know that he thought at the time was his own home, fighting with a man who stabbed him nine times, and then he hit this man with a frying pan. He was in a blackout drunk. And this is how he found himself in that penitentiary. Ashley was visiting him, and she asked, what is that um, piece of dental floss around your finger? He says, that's remind me that we will be together someday. Now, Sam's story is not unique. And before this vows piece ever uh, came to the New York Times, there was an article about him indicating what so many other veterans have known, that coming back home, it is different and painful when trauma is not addressed. And so actually, as his story became known, he actually had his sentence commuted down to just a few years. And he got out. And he and Ashley were together again. They thought, this is going to be good. Things are going to be all right. Except that's not the end of the story. There was a bureaucratic snafu, and he wasn't getting his veterans' benefits for months and months and months. And because he was still a convicted felon, he could not get a job. Ashley, meanwhile was working 18, 20-hour days to try and keep a roof over their head. She said, you can only go through so many months on end of working in a bar as a bartender until 5 a.m. until you feel completely like a zombie. They didn't know if they could find a way through together. And this is where enters a man named Judge Terrence Lavin, a Chicago district judge. His nephew, Connor Lowry, had also signed up after September 11th, had also gone to Afghanistan, except he didn't make it back. He died, they're still not sure, by way of an accident or an IED. And the judge asked himself every single night, what the hell happened? He and his family were deeply wounded by the nephew's loss. At one point, he was going through the Sunday papers, and he saw Sam's story there. And he said to himself, I owe it to my nephew's memory 
to do something. I have seen enough of war's cost. I want to make something right. And he remembered that before he ever became a judge, before he went to law school, he worked in a steel mill as a young man. And the judge still had connections to organized labor in the Chicago area. And so he invited Sam and Ashley into his courtroom chambers one day. And he said, how about I get you a job? And Sam found his way into a union. And their life started to stabilize. And they said, let's get married. Let's get married on that year of Halloween. And they knew there was only one man who could do it. Judge Terrence Lavin. The whole ceremony, he didn't mention his nephew. He said this was their day. This was Ashley and Sam's day. But reflecting on it later, he said, Connor, my nephew, you would have raised a cold one to them and offered them cheers. And the judge, in telling the story, pauses with emotion. He said, my nephew would have been 30 this February. The judge lost his nephew. People die. As Easter says, our wounds and our scars are real. As our healing can be too. But not separated, only connected. This is the collective story of Easter. Rodney's right. We're not born broken. This is part of our heritage. We are not born broken. And life will break our hearts. Life will absolutely break our hearts if we take only one step of risk in this life, which is to open our hearts. And this, then, is the choice. If we cultivate a humble, profound strength of being willing to pick up the pieces of our broken hearts, we will find that our hearts are composed of the exact same thing that connect us to everyone and everything who has ever been alive. This is how I understand Easter. That it's not a story of the immortality of the soul. People ask me about life after death, and I don't know, I said that's above my pay grade. I've never been dead yet, not that I know of. That's not the point of what Easter is about. Jesus finds his way back to his community for a time. In the same way when we dream, when we remember, when we are holding in our hearts those gifts that our beloved departed give to us, and we feel that miraculous sense of connection of exactly what Jesus says to his disciples, I will be with you, even as he leaves. I love that tension. We don't get to keep this forever. That truth of impermanence is real. And yet, perhaps once we relinquish that claim that we get to keep this as it is, we inherit something far greater. We can carry our beloved departed, our lost, with us as a way to transform this life in an ongoing way towards and in the direction of more love and more grace and more peace, even when our hearts are broken. See, on this account, our broken hearts aren't a problem at all. It's our resistance to our broken hearts that is the problem. 
A broken heart is just actually a more profoundly open heart, if we look at it that way. This Easter, I don't think there's any image for me that speaks more clearly to this truth than this. Emma Gonzalez. And I got to tell you, I do this for a living, the most incredible piece of public oratory I have seen in my lifetime. That willingness to hold that silence for that long. See, that's what maybe this time is different. This collective, perhaps, resurrection after Parkland that says there is already too much death and not in our high schools and in our cities and in our lives. We can do differently. We can love better. This is what it is to say enough is enough and it is built upon the foundation of those we have lost. But not making that word of death the final word in the sentence of our lives. This is what resonated for so many of us a week ago Saturday. That we are called forth more deeply into this life to love more courageously and to create more peace, compassion, and justice. And not to give in to despair. This is Easter. And this is Easter too. Closer to home. Some of you know who the man on the right is. Well, the other guy's Gordon Ramsay. That's Jimmy Davignon, a member of our congregation that within the last two weeks died. And what I want to say about Jimmy this morning is that the last few months of his life were a terrible struggle. And he was in pain. And it was pain that Jimmy was well-practiced at masking. I look over and I see his seat there, where he would be with his son, Maxon, who he loved very much. And Jimmy was always there with the handshakes and the hugs. We all benefited from that for years. I know I did. And Jimmy was a chef, as you see in this. And I'm an amateur chef. And I got to tell you the buzz that I got every time he would comment on one of my little Facebook posts about the cooking that I would try to do and he would call me chef. Nothing meant more to me than that in terms of that part of my life. And this is why we have spiritual community. Because the only resurrection is collective, is remembering. Jimmy struggled at the end of his life. Let us remember him, even if today is the first time you ever heard of him. We are not alone. If you are struggling today, reach out. Reach out to someone you know here. Reach out to me. Reach out to Reverend Lee. You are not alone. We are not alone. This work is remembering. This work is for repairing. 
take those words apart, you see what it's about. Remembering, repairing, putting back together that which, because this life will break, our hearts might have us believe that we are completely on our own, but we are not. That's why this foreign Jewish, now largely Buddhist, Unitarian Universalist, loves Easter. Because it points, it points at the deepest truth that I know, that there are many good Fridays in our lives, many crucifixions, and there are many Easter mornings. Not a single time in a single place for a single faith, for a single people, from a single story, but pointing to the reality that we all share. I love that Jesus says, when he knows he's going to die, he says to his friends, put out disciples, come on, that's a fancy word. He says to his friends, do this in memory of me. And what does he point to? He doesn't point to a text. He doesn't point to a doctrine. He points to the most simple elemental things. When you eat, when you drink, Remember me. Come back home with love to the collective body that we all share. For Easter is here and now. And yes, every time I cook from here on out will be different. Because every time I cook, I will remember Jimmy. Our grief and our love are intimately partnered. Easter's an invitation to not bury it, turn away, deny it, but to actually find a deeper, more paradoxical strength that actually through the openness, through the cracks in our broken hearts, we find a deeper capacity to love. A. Powell Davies was a Unitarian clergy person of the last century. He had a wonderful quote. He said, life is just a chance to grow a soul. I like that, but actually it's too much in here for me. So I've rephrased it for myself. Life is just a chance to open your heart. Every day. Especially we want to close our hearts up because they've been broken. The tomb and the womb meet at the places that we love. Where there's birth and death and everything is connected. And the heart can grow wide wide enough to love. Happy Easter, my friends. May you open your hearts. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? Mysterious, nameless, and yes, certainly divine love. May we breathe in and out of this very moment that contains, yes, our our wounds and our scars and our pain and the brokenness that is there in our lives, not because we are broken, but because, in fact, we are whole. Because we have the capacity to love. May we, this Easter morning, trust that capacity to love that will bring us back into the fullness of our lives.
back into community, back into trust, back into recognizing this great truth of our tradition that there is a love so special we do not need to be special to be loved. There is nothing we can do to earn it. It already is. May we live into this truth. May we trust it. And may we rise from it. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.